Welcome everyone to the Accelerate Golf podcast, where we explore different aspects of the golf industry by simply talking to people and listening to their stories so that you, the listener, can understand the business of and the opportunities within this beautiful game. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Mark Bayram, the head golf professional at Timberland Golf Club located in Connecticut. Mark has been there since 2011 and is a Class A PGA professional. He has won several accolades in his career. The PGA Connecticut section named Mark the 2020 Teacher of the Year, and he also won the 2015 Youth Player Development Award. But that's not all. Mark is a very good player who competes regularly in section tournaments. Some of his highlights include winning the 2023 Del Kini Pro Pro Championship. He also placed second in the 2017 Connecticut PGA Stroke Play Championship, missing qualifying for the 2017 Travelers Championship on the PGA Tour in a sudden death playoff. He was also the runner-up at the 2018 Connecticut PGA Championship. He placed third at the 2022 uh, Connecticut PGA Walter Lovell Championship. He's a five-time member of the Julius Boros Challenge Cup team, and he was a member of the St. Leo University golf team in Dade City, Florida, uh, as part of his undergrad uh, college. He has great passion in, in coaching competitive and youth golfers, especially with his two sons aged nine and 10, who are also pretty keen golfers in their own right. So welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me. Great, Mark. And we are glad to have you as well. So let's just start off. You know, some of our listeners may not know the PGA of America. What is this organization and what does it do? So I like to say that uh, we're golf professionals, not professional golfers. So we do not play for a living. Um, as a golf professional, you're there to grow the game of golf uh, at your particular facility. Uh, there's 29,000 members of the PGA of America uh, throughout the country and I believe 47 sections. Uh, I personally am in the Connecticut PGA, which uh, covers Connecticut and Western Massachusetts. And uh, I chose this career because I wanted to be um, into golf somehow. Um, I knew after college I wasn't going to play for a living because I was playing against some very good players and realized that they were just better. Um, but to continue your career, you can become a Class A PGA member. There's various roles in the business you can do. You can be a coach. You can be um, a director of golf and manage the operation at a course. There's just so many different avenues to the golf business, but uh, there's 29,000 members of the PGA of America. Yes, and, uh, you know, and the listener, the average listener might not know that the PGA of America also conducts the Ryder Cup, you know, which is a very popular um, championship between members of the PGA Tour and the European Tour. Uh, and we had a pretty contentious Ryder Cup uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, right? Absolutely. That was exciting. Um, I'm hoping that when it's at Beth Page, I hope to attend, but also I hope the U.S. can can bring back the cup for sure. But, uh, yeah, the PGA of America has a lot of different championships. Actually, they help um, – they conduct the PGA Championship, which is a major um, – and they have various events, um, you know, professionally that they conduct. 
That's great, Mark, and thank you for that introduction. Um, so let's just start off with your golf journey. How did you get into golf? So I was really a baseball player um, when I was younger, and that was my number one passion. But my dad was an, a very avid golfer and a competitive golfer. Um, and I just remember that when I when I turned 12, I just remember that distinctly. He he asked me to join his group um, just to tag along Saturday, Sunday mornings. Like I wasn't playing. I just was there to hang out. Um, and he felt like that was an appropriate age to get me out there. Um, but I would uh, the highlight of the day. I mean, I'd be out there for four and a half hours and I'd get to hit a couple shots. And that was like the highlight of the day. Other than that, I was just hanging out with a bunch of old guys. Um, but I really, uh, started to take a liking to golf. Um, I would say I got serious when I was about 14 years old, um, and started playing in tournaments and I, I would get dropped off at the golf course in the morning, picked up in the evening. I played 36 a day and just became obsessed with the game. Um, when I was young and I played baseball almost all the way up till I was 18 years old during the summers. Um, but I decided after my freshman year of high school that, I was just better at golf. So if I wanted to play at the collegiate level in any sport, uh, golf was going to be it. And uh, I never had lessons growing up. Um, my family, unfortunately, couldn't afford golf lessons, but they could afford a season pass to Stanley Golf Course. So I played a lot of golf growing up, and I had friends that played. Um, and that's really how I developed my skills was by playing the game and just kind of self-taught learning. Um, so that's how I began my journey into the game of golf. Wow, that sounds uh, wonderful. And it, um, a lot of people, you know, say that playing is the best way to learn the game. Um, and just curious, you started off, let's say, right around when you entered high school. Were you part of the high school golf team? Yes. After my freshman year, I played, ba I played baseball. But then my sophomore year, um, the summer before my sophomore year, I played a lot of golf and I got to be pretty good, played in some tournaments and just realized I wanted to play a sport in college. That was going to be it. Um, I was just better at it uh, and I had a future in it. And I knew if I put more of my time in, into playing golf, then that was going to be in it. It ended up working out. But uh, I did play golf um, in high school, sophomore, junior and senior year. And what was your skill level in terms of your handicap? Uh, let's say when you entered high school and when you were leaving high school, what was kind of the handicap range you were in? Uh, so the first time I broke 80 was when I was 14. It was actually the first year I really pl started playing seriously. It was towards the end of the summer. And that was my first time breaking 80, which is like a nice milestone for any junior golfer. They always, any golfer just in general. Um, and I would just say that I probably, after a year of playing the game, I was probably like a five or a six handicap. Um, and then by the time I was a senior in high school, I, I was a scratch golfer and it didn't just, I mean, I obviously was lucky that I played other sports and I was able to do things and learn things quickly, um, and how to play the game. But I also put in a lot of work to get there. And like I was saying, that was my, my summer was just getting dropped off at the golf course every day in the morning and then picked up in the evening. And I would spend my day at Stanley golf course every day. And so you were, you were a self-taught golfer. Um, how did you know what areas to work on and what to do properly and what not to do? It's funny. I mean, I look back and I just can't believe like I progressed like I did without any sort of 
real coaching. Now, I mean, I got to play with a lot of good players. I pay attention. Uh, I watch golf on TV. Like I said, I became obsessed with the game. Um, but in terms of instruction, I didn't really get a lot. And I look back and I kind of think, how did I do it? Because now I'm a coach and I coach the junior golfers and the competitive juniors. And it's so beneficial for them to learn, you know, at a young age. Uh, I just think to educate themselves about hitting different shots and how the ball curves and all that. Um, technology has certainly helped um, players develop rapidly, I feel, like TrackMan and things that could measure um, that we didn't have back then. But at the same time, uh, I, I was just fortunate. Like I And Tiger Woods was my favorite golfer, um, and his book came out at about the time I was maybe 18 or 19, How I Play Golf by Tiger Woods. And I wasn't much of a reader, um, but I definitely read that book cover to cover. And, you know, a lot of the things that he explained in that book, I went out every day and I tried to apply. And I really feel like I was able to develop that way. Wow. And that was the peak Tiger era, wasn't it? Uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. Yes. And that was when I was, I graduated high school in 2001. So I was right about that time, you know, and. He was uh he was the goat for sure. He was winning everything. <laughs> so I figured his books probably got some good stuff in it. Wow, yeah, and that's not a bad uh, you know way to learn golf or you know a bad person to learn golf from. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about how you got recruited into college golf because that's um, a path which is available but not easy to get into. Correct. Yeah, that's really changed over the years. Um, I actually was going to play golf at UConn. I didn't get into the school, unfortunately, and that was like my dream. Now, this is when UConn, UConn has really gotten better, especially under Coach Pizzino. Um, I don't know if I could have played for them now, but back then I could have played for them. Um, I didn't get into the school, unfortunately. Um, I was going to go to Central, uh, but it was right down the road from where I grew up, and I kind of just wanted to venture off. So, you know, I, I just – Frankly, I just contacted the coaches down south. I went to St. Leo University, which is in the Tampa area. But I just contacted coaches directly, um, gave them my player resume. Uh, and I had a lot of good finishes in junior tournaments My, you know, when I was 16, 17 years old. Um, so I visited, got to play golf with the coach. Um, I have a couple schools down there. I went to University of Tampa, University of Central Florida, and St. Leo. Um, Central Florida was going to be a stretch to play at, but Division II, um, I decided to go to St. Leo because I knew I would play my freshman year, and I think that's important. Um, it's great to go to a D1 school, but if you're going to be the number seven or eight person on the team, you're not going to get a lot of experience playing. So I was fortunate enough. Now, that's how recruiting went back then. Now there's all kinds of different ways. I mean, uh, there's companies out there that will kind of do the recruiting for you. Um, there's things like Junior Golf Hub that, you know, they help you progress uh, into the recruiting stages and into college. So there's a lot more, I guess, resources now than there were back then. Um, so I think it's probably better now, but the caliber of player is also much better now than it was back then. So it's Correct. competitive. Right. And, and you coach a lot of uh, junior golfers, don't you? Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, maybe some of them have traversed the same path as you did getting into college golf, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. I've seen a, I've seen a few players um, go to college, play in college. 
Uh, it's rewarding as a coach to see that, but it's it's a tough process. I mean, it's just college golf at the end of the day. I mean, number one's got to be the academics. So you want to go to a good school um, where they have maybe your major you want to study. Um, that, so it's it's tough. It's a tough balance. I mean, the parents, it's all really on the parents to just be supportive and uh, throughout their golf tournaments and then also what they decide for where they want to go, what schools are interested in. Um, so I think the coach-parent relationship, if a coach is going to help somebody guide somebody uh, into college golf, um, I think that's important. They got to have a good relationship. Right, right. And um, just turning towards you know, the business aspect of golf, you touched upon why you became a, a PGA a professional, a PGA of America professional. Um, could you explain what, what's your current role for the listener out there? Yes, I've been the head golf professional at Timberland Golf uh, Golf Course for 13 years now. Um, the way I progressed is I got into the golf business after I graduated college uh, at St. Leo. I actually wasn't sure what I wanted to do, to be honest. Um, so I took a job as an assistant golf pro in Land Lakes, Florida at a public golf course. And I also helped coach uh, as an assistant coach the men's and women's golf team at St. Leo after I left. Um, so I did that for three years. Um, wasn't the most glamorous position uh, as an assistant golf pro. I was making $8 an hour uh, down in Florida. And then when they realized I was working too much overtime, they put me on salary for less than 20000 a year. That <laughs> sounded good to me as 22 years old, but uh, it wasn't much. Um, so, you know, it was definitely a challenge getting into the business, but I just I, I loved golf and it's what I wanted to do in some sort of capacity. I wanted to be around it. Um, it was there that I really grew my passion for coaching because I kind of had to, to, to make ends meet and make money um, to live. So I really got a lot of experience coaching when I was in Florida as an assistant pro. Um, and, you know, I got into the program. I was able to do my book work while I was there. Um, so it, it's like getting a master's degree when you become a class A PGA pro. That's like what I attribute. Like, it's just like that. Um, but it's level one, two, and three. And it took me about three and a half years to complete. But once you're done and you're class A, you have continuing credits, education credits you have to get to maintain, but you're done with the school portion of it. Got it. And, you know, those first few years as an assistant pro are actually reputed to be so difficult in terms of the workload and also financially. You touched upon the fact that, you know, you were making uh, on a salary of about $20,000 a year. Plus, I presume you were keeping whatever you were making from your instruction business, right? Correct. Um, and that must have been tough, though. I mean, even though you were young uh, and didn't have a family, I mean, how was it? How, how did you get through those years? Uh, I look back and it's uh, I just kind of grinded through the years. I mean, I just loved what I did and loved going to work every day and the people I was meeting. And I think that really kept me going. Um, I had a boss who I actually lived with. He uh, you know, that was part of the deal. So that was helpful in a sense. And he was a great guy um, who mentored me my first few years as an assistant, which is important um, to have somebody to guide you like that. Um, but I would just say my love for golf and my love for helping people get better at golf or make their experience a good one. That's kind of what drove me every day to, to keep going. And then from that point onwards, 
after you completed the program and you got your class A credential, then what happened? Well, that that was after I moved back up north um, and took a job as an assistant at Shuttle Meadow Country Club. So 2005 to 2008, I was in Florida as an assistant pro. Um, the Financially up in the northeast, the jobs were just better. Uh, and it's obviously where I'm from. So I uh, Shuttle Meadow Country Club, which was in it's in the town I grew up in or city I grew up in New Britain. I never got to play there as a kid because it was a high end private club. That job came open and I interviewed and it was that was the best decision I made in my career just to come back up because I worked for somebody who um, had a track record of moving their assistant pros up into head golf pro jobs. I, I had arguably the best mentor in Connecticut section PGA history, Tim Gavronsky, uh, guiding me. So that uh, that was the best move I made. And, and I got to be honest, when I went to shuttle, I was actually studying to take the postal exam and get out of the business. <laughs> um, I wasn't sure I wanted to stay in the business. Uh, but after one year, he saw something in me and he really helped me out. Um, and I learned just every aspect of the business from him. So long and short is having a great mentor is important if you want to stay in the golf business. Or in any business, I would say, Mark, uh, having that mentor who can guide you, especially when things are a little bit of a struggle and you're trying to establish yourself. Um, um, so that's wonderful. And and then how did you come upon the opportunity at Timberland? So uh, Timberland is, is basically five to 10 minutes away from Shuttle Meadow Country Club. Uh, the job came available 2010, towards the end of 2010. And being around this area and in the community and working at Shuttle Metal Country Club, I was able to meet a lot of people to at least get my foot in the door for an interview. And I interviewed two times and having public golf course background growing up was helpful. Um, but I also had experience in public and private in the business. And uh, I was the candidate for them. They chose me and I've been here ever since. Um, so it's, uh, it's a great place. Reminds me a lot about uh, Stanley Golf Course growing up, a lot of the people are awesome and uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. And, and you know, you've obviously done wonderful things at Timberland, um, and it's a public golf course like you mentioned. And our listeners probably are interested in what is the interaction with the town? So the, the golf course is owned by the town of, of Berlin, correct? Yes. Yep. Um, and how does that interplay work? Are you a town employee uh, or is it a, a contract between you and the town? How does that work? So I'm an independent contractor and uh, contracted to do a job, which is pretty detailed. Um, every contract I've had has changed a little bit, but basically I'm in charge of running the golf operation at the golf course. Um, don't have a lot to do with the maintenance. Uh, the golf course maintenance, but in terms of running the day-to-day, tee -day, um, sheet, tournaments, leagues, outings, all that, um, instructional programs, I'm basically responsible for all that. Uh, and I mean, again, every day is different. It's, it's uh, there's a lot of moving parts that go on at a, at a pub, busy public golf course. Um, but I can say that the town has been super supportive of youth golf programs. Um, and even before my time at Timberland, uh, there's so many great players that have come out of Berlin, Connecticut, 
that grew up playing Timberland golf course. Um, and it's been great to carry on those traditions and, and kind of put my own spin on it. And who do you interact with from, from the town side? Is, does the town have a golf commission which um, works with you? Um, and you said that the maintenance part of the golf course is separate. Uh, how do you interplay interact with uh, with that aspect? So there's always communication with maintenance in terms of if there's a frost delay, if there's some you know some sort of project going on on the golf course and everything. So there's always that communication. But I report to um, the town manager um, and also the golf commission. And before the golf commission, the golf commission came about in 2018. I want to say before that it was the park and rec commission. Um, so similar to like a private club where there's a board, there's a chairman of the board. We have a golf commission in town and we have eight members of the golf commission. There's a chairman and we have a monthly meeting where, you know, we go over things at the golf course, things that maybe can improve, things that are going great. Um, and we just try to keep it moving in the right direction successfully. Right, right. And also just curious about the length of the contract. I mean, Typically, is it three years, five years, just for the listeners to kind of understand that aspect of the business? Yeah, contracts, it, it's a challenge a little bit because there's a lot of continuity at being at a golf course where you build relationships with tournaments and leagues. And as a business, you want those always to continue. But meanwhile, if there was a, a paving company that was paving and they bid on a job in town, you know, they're con they might change you know, vendors often where at a golf course, you got somebody good, you want to keep them for a long time, but you rarely ever see a contract over three years uh, in a municipality in any department. Um, so, you know, I'm fortunate the last contract I signed was for five years, but everyone prior to that was three years, three years at a time. Got it. And in terms of the organizational structure at the golf course, so you are the head golf professional, do you have a staff under you? Yes, I um, have two assistant golf professionals and golf shop staff um, under me. Okay, and, and what are the things you do to help build out the staff? Because I'm sure as part of your evaluation by the town, uh, the customer experience, the player experience are factors which go into uh, whether you're doing a good job or not doing a good job. You can't be everywhere at the same time. What are some of the things you do to hire the right people and actually develop them so that the customer experience is high end, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always thought there's things that can be taught and there's things that can't. To me, the things that can't be taught are the most important. And when I say that, that's really interpersonal skills and personality. Um, as a service business, that's super important. I mean, you could have somebody that knows all the ins and outs about how things run, but they've got no personality. People don't care. They don't want, they don't want to deal with that type of person. Um, so to me, I've been fortunate with um, the staff I've had over the years um, where they're well-liked and they do a good job. Now, are there things that they could do better? Yes, but there are also things that can be learned versus just being nice and genuine to people um, and always trying to do the right thing. So, you know, to me, the things that can't be taught, like personality, loyalty, all that, I think that's more important when hiring somebody.
And then things that can be taught, that's up to me to teach. Got it, got it. And over here in the Northeast United States, the golf season, let's say goes from March through the end of November, maybe mid-December. Um, what's a typical day during the golf season like for you? I'd say there's no typical day, um, but there are things that happen every day. I mean, you come in, make sure everything's going smooth. I'd say I probably give about three or four lessons a day. I try not to do too much because there's other things I have to do. Um, and you've got to play the balancing act. Um, but every day there's, there's different things going on, um, whether there's tournaments, um, there's a league or just different things going on. You might have a slow group on the golf course randomly that you have to address. Um, we might have a, a youth program that's going to close the range. I mean, there's just all kinds of different moving parts um, daily. So I'd say there's no typical day, but, you know, you get a lot of the same. And in 13 years, I won't say I've seen it all, but I've seen a lot. <laughs> so um, I, I feel like I have good experience in, in handling most situations, whether they're challenging or, or they're not. And what are some of the things you love doing um, in terms of the day-to-day? Is it the instruction aspect or is it managing people? So I would say that coaching is my thing. Um, I love coaching juniors. I mean, but anyone really willing to learn how to play golf that wants to get better, you know, I, I love to coach. Um, it can be exhausting at times if you do too much of it, especially during the heat of the summer. Um, so you definitely have to find the balance there. But um, that's the thing I enjoy most. Um, I also love running tournaments. I feel like, I mean, I just take a lot of pride. It's something I learned from my mentor, Tim Gavronsky, that you just have to have a keen attention to detail. You got to make sure everything is correct and, and done done right so the tournament can just run smooth. Um, a lot of the tournament software has helped that, like Golf Genius has been great um, learning that program, and we use it for all our men's club events. So. You know, I, I love to teach and I love to run events, just making people happy. Um, if there's something that I don't have a huge passion that I probably should, it's, it's merchandising. Um, it, I own the golf shop. It's part of the business. It, it's never really been my thing, but uh, I have to do it and I'm trying to get better at it. <laughs> Got it. And so over the years, how did you build a reputation as such a good teacher? Um, what would you recommend to someone who is starting out in this profession who might be in a PGA golf management program somewhere thinking about becoming an instructor? What is your advice to that audience? Well, I mean, it, it probably sounds cliche, but as a teacher, you, you always have to continue learning too. Um, so, you know, even I don't feel like I know everything because I don't. And like me personally right now, I'm, I'm trying to educate myself on, you know, mobility exercises and more fitness stuff um, because I see how great that is for players um, of all ages and, and improving their game, just preventing injuries and just playing better golf by being able to move better. So um, I'm starting to learn that. And I just think it's important that any anybody um, that wants to get in the business and become a coach, that one, you just go out and do it. I mean, 
go throw yourself out there, give lessons. You're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. You got to learn from them, but also try to educate yourself on getting better. You know, for me, I didn't know anything when I started coaching. Like I literally knew nothing. You know that I never had lessons. I didn't know how I was doing what I was doing when I was playing well. I mean, that's what it came down to. I was just raw. But uh, once I got in level one of the PGA program, well, I started to learn ball flight laws. I started to learn about contact misses and why things happen. And then from there, you just continue your education. And before you know it, you're going to know so much and you're going to be more confident as a coach. You know, so I would just say that don't expect to be a top 10 coach in the country just starting out like you're going to make mistakes but you just learn from them and continue to educate yourself. And and does the PGA of America help you uh, develop that skill over time? I mean, you've been in the program for more than 15 years now. Um, is there a continuing education program given by the PGA of America to help you with that? Oh, absolutely. Especially the last few years, they developed PGA coach um which if you're watching the pga championship or the Ryder cup and you look at the leaderboard online it'll show you a coach in your area but i mean there's also education part of that um the pga of america is always providing the resources to get better um so they do a wonderful job doing that but at the end of the day it's on the coach to to go do it but the PGA of America certainly helps guide us and, and provide resources that can make us better at what we do. And it's not just coaching. I, I know they have it for all areas, you know, being a director of golf, uh, general manager, there's all kinds of different specializations you can have with the PGA of America and continue your education. So um, they're great. They're a great organization. And I'm proud to be a member. And you obviously have a lot of things on your plate you know, between the instruction, managing the day-to-day -day of the of the golf course, but you somehow managed to keep yourself sharp and competitive in terms of your playing ability. How do you do that? Do you put in some extra hours late at night or, uh, you know, you yeah. develop to yourself to that point where yeah. you need maybe a couple of sessions a week? What, what do you do? I'm just curious about that. Uh, I don't do much. Unfortunately, uh, I'd love to put in time late at night, but most of that, if there's time, it goes to my nine and 10 year old boys. Um, so there, I, I really, other than just knowing more about the golf swing and even coaching, I just see things and I think to myself, well, maybe I'll try that. And like maybe between lessons, I'll hit 10 or 15 balls. Um, but just, educating myself was probably the best way that I developed my skills is like learning why things happen. Like when you hit it off the toe or you hit it off the heel, like why that is happening um, and what is causing that. Just learning that throughout the years has really helped me develop as a player, even though I, I haven't played much. Um, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and complain that us club pros, we never play, but we definitely devote our time to others playing and kind of put ourselves secondary. Um, but at the same time, I'm not just going to sit back and, and never play or practice because I feel like it's important for me to still play at a high level if I'm going to coach a competitive golfer. Um, I, I feel like if I were going to go take lessons from somebody that, you know, I know I can play at a high level, 
that I want to learn from somebody that has been there and has done that. Um, so that's always been important to me when I'm coaching competitive players is that I practice what I preach. And uh, like I have goals for myself too, and I don't have a lot of time to put into them, but I still set goals for myself each year. Like my off season goal, it's a stretch because I'm 40 now, but I want to get my club speed up to 120. And that's my goal before the spring. So yeah, it's good to have a goal, but you got to work towards it. So I plan on, on doing a little bit of the work when I can to do it. So, you know, it's uh it's tough. I mean, anybody looking to get in the business, don't think you're going to play, you know, 60 times a year um, because likely you won't. And uh, but when you can, it's important you do because there's a lot of things we do in our roles that anybody can do. Like anybody can run a tournament. Anybody can merchandise a golf shop, you know, and manage a staff. But not just anybody can teach the game or play the game at a high level. So I think that's what separates PGA professionals from paying somebody half of what we make to do the job is we need to know what we're good at, know our purpose. And it starts with growing the game. And I feel it's through coaching and just being an ambassador at your club and playing. If you can play with members, I think that's awesome. Every time I join the men's club or women's club out here and just play around a golf with them, they're thrilled. Like they love it. And I'm sure there's a lot of places like that anything looking back at your career and in the uh, towards the golf business in general you would like to change yeah i mean uh my thing especially last few years and since having kids of my own that play is is youth golf um i think that when you create a golfer it doesn't have to be a great golfer that's going to play in college and has, has all these dreams to play competitively i mean golf is a game that Many people play for recreation. It's good for their mental health. It's good for their careers and businesses. Um, so it's important that kids learn how to play golf. I think that it's important that parents are parents. And I mean, the, the reason I say that is because like, I have two kids that love golf and they play competitively and it's great to see them, you know, get better. But to me, I'm their parent. And even though that, I mean, I know what I'm talking about, they don't want to listen to me as a coach because I'm their parent. And I just think that it's important that you just be the parent, be supportive, be motivating. Um, if you want your child to play golf and they're going to, I mean, creating their love for the game, has got to come before, you know, having winning tournaments and, and all that. Um, so they got to love the game first. So my advice to parents is to parent and not coach and, find a coach that and there's plenty around that are very good um and your child will love the game and you can share that bond if you're a golfer for the rest of your life that's wonderful parting words mark thank you so much for your time and also your advice and insight into the business thank you so much for having me thank you mark